Welcome to the Weekly Roar. I'm Grant Bruner. This is episode 775. With me today is Molly Bradley. Hello, Molly. You thinking of any any particular animal? Oh, gosh. I mean, you know the animal, I want to say. Um, but I'm going to go with... Today, I'm going to go with uh, Fennec Fox. With the big mm, ears. That's a, great, that's a great fox. Yeah, yeah. High quality fox. Uh, I'm going to go... Uh, I think it's been a lot of harbor seal content lately. Um, the way they ambulate on the on land is very funny. I don't think I've spent a lot of time looking at them. They do a lot of like scooching because you know they've developed they have developed to to live in the sea primarily. But they do spend a good chunk on on land, and when they do it, it's it's awkward. Let's say. Oh, I love that! I'm gonna have to look this up, Pronto, after this. Harbor seals, ten out of ten. Uh, so we don't have a we don't have a ton uh, uh, to like. Hey, we have to hit these things. Uh, I think it's a much more free form. Uh, I think we could probably start out with like, hey, what you've been playing, and then uh, any other stuff you want to hit. Um, so, what video games have you been playing since last we s- spoke on a podcast, which is like eighteen years ago? Oh man. Well, I guess there's what I'm playing now, and there's what I've played since we last talked. Okay, so what the things the things that you really want to talk about? Like, you don't need to tell me every single video game, but like, what are the things that like you feel a passion about talking about? Oh yeah, well, I mean, it's not even so many. I think because some take a while, but um, I am currently playing Dark Souls three. Mm. Um, after my initial my introduction to FromSoft games with Bloodborne earlier this year, which I, I feels like it's been so much. Lo- it feels like that took a year to play, and it feels like it's been a year or two since then. But I realized I think I finished sometime in April. Mm. Um, and I have to say, I never thought, well, never, but I was really doubtful that I would play Dark Souls 3, especially after I tried to start playing Dark Souls 1. And it's mm. it's just old enough, and I am just spoiled enough by, like, really new games, having just gotten into gaming, that the sort of imprecision of the controls just drove me... T- I got too mad about Dark Souls 1, even the remastered mm. version, like, not responsive enough for me. Um... So I put it down. That's kind of the game's whole thing, right? Is like you 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 hit a button to swing a sword, and then some years later, an animation <laughs> finishes. Exactly, and I think it's one thing if you can say, okay, that's what's going to happen, but it it's just a little bit too janky. And I I would like to go back and play it at some point, um, but I kind of thought, you know. No Dark Souls. This is going to make me too mad. But I started Dark Souls three, and I love it. I really do. So now, I mean, like, so obviously, I'm I am the uh, I would say the, rel- the the minority of uh, FromSoft uh, sipping that FromSoft haterade. Yeah. <laughs> and um, but which is not entirely true. I I don't. I'm not mad that it exists. I am kind of mad that those games like. Um, they suck up all the oxygen often. Sure, yeah. Which is which is often when I express frustration in a thing. It is not that I'm like frustrated that the thing exists, but it's like, oh, this is all anybody is interested in talking about for the next couple of months, huh? Right. Well, especially with Elden Ring, people are still, you know, it's came out last year, something. 2022, actually. Oh God, yeah. Okay, 2022, and it's still it feels the way people talk about it, you know, feels like it just came out still. Yeah, it is. It. It, it, it can suck up a lot of oxygen and like the way that people are like because there's been like some stuff happening kind of like behind the scenes that indicates that the DLC that they're doing is is like 
maybe not like ready to go, but is like ready to be pre-orderable right, right. at some point. Um, and it's like people are just like fucking salivating over it, and it's like this is fine. And I'm ha- I'm like I'm fundamentally happy that they're going to get a, a thing that they like. Yeah. Um, and like there's no like debating that there isn't like something there, but it's like oh uh, I'm like I'm just gonna like skip all of my gaming podcasts for like a couple weeks. <laughs> I'm just gonna yeah. be like no, I'm not gonna listen to this episode. You know what's really funny is that is exactly how I feel about Taylor Swift. Uh, I mm-hmm. like just in you know the summary is that I have really liked a lot of her music. I have medium to neutraled other of her music. Some I don't like. Um, I think she's talented. I don't think she's a genius. But and you know I, if she puts out an album that's really good, like I would love that. I'd love to listen to that. But every time there's new, there's a new Taylor's version or a new album. Part of me is like, oh, I'm curious. And the other part of me is just exhausted. Just. Yeah. Are you living through. I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. Are you living through uh, like a thunderstorm right now? Oh my God. I'm so sorry. Th- there's construction going on in the apartment above me and they're supposed to be done by five, but. And they quieted down, but apparently they are not done. That's okay. Uh, yeah. No, I, I. I. I feel pretty similarly. I probably less than you. Like. I I don't know if I have ever like hit play in Spotify of a Taylor Swift song, but I'm I'm aware of of many of them or some of them at least um, simply by living in the world that we live in. Um, right. And it's like this seems like totally like fine pop music, like great, awesome. But yeah, I don't have any. There's nothing about Taylor Swift that I that that does it for me personally. Yeah. When I think there there's an element that um, also I do like how you phrase that I'm, I'm aware of her um yes there's there's i feel well, i don't feel bad i don't feel bad for celebrities but i feel conflicted because it's not necessarily a famous person or you know a game studio or whatever's fault for how fans behave or the yeah. kind of culture that is created around it there's a relationship but it's not you know there's limited control over that but uh, they can make it worse certainly they can make it worse for sure um but yeah like f- fandoms i think are the thing that exhausts me more than any actual thing itself because I can respect art of many, many kinds um, Mm -hmm. and take something from it, but it's um, you know, and maybe it should be the case that one is just strong and evaluates the art on its own, but it's hard not to feel kind of um, have your feelings like bullied around by a particularly vociferous fan base you know yeah, yeah and and or like for example very recently uh tracy chapman was on stage performing and it's been everywhere and my wife has all sorts of feelings about tracy chapman and and that song in particular fast car um and i think that tracy chapman is um just fine and dandy it's just a style of music that i don't really spend a lot of time listening to yeah, be, yeah people have been kind of non-stop about tracy chapman i i really love her uh you know, I think I only really know that one album. I don't really know much about her outside of that album. Um, that fast car is on. Um, it's been in, that's been really interesting though, because I think a lot of people became fans of that song specifically because of the cover, the Luke Combs cover. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm surprised you were able to pull that name. Well, out. because I could, this is like my thing with Taylor Swift. I can't help. I have all this knowledge. I never sought out and don't want to store, mm-hmm. but my brain, it just gets put into my brain. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I mean, he's, he seems cool. It's a nice, it's a nice cover. I think I've heard it maybe all of once, but um yeah, there's odd. I don't know. There's something odd happening with with that song because I love that Tracy Chapman is getting a lot of you know uh, 
recognition for it. Um, there's also a lot of really wacky interpretations of the song going around, um, which is really funny. I imagine your wife has feelings about this too. Probably. Um, I don't know if we talked about it, but like she maintains a crying list, which is every like silly thing that she's cried about in the year. Oh, I love that. So like any of the like actual real, this is sad or whatever stuff doesn't count. Um, yeah. Um, and I think that fast car is on there multiple times already. Oh god, I mean, hardly silly. That's, but I will say I love that as a list. I've thought about and kind of started doing the same thing in my. I'm in my crying era, I would say. Um, and uh, everything makes me cry. Like happy things make me cry. Are you exiting your Joker era and into your sobbing era? Well, the weird thing is, I'm kind of in both eras. They're kind of overlapping, which is really uncomfortable. But um, oh, becoming a sad, like clown, a sad, really. sad clown. Oh, that's exactly it. Um, but at Christmas, because I went to several like Christmas related things where there were carols and I couldn't I couldn't get through a damn Christmas carol without crying. Yep. It was, and it was like, you know, you can cry in a way where you're kind of laughing and you're like, oh gosh, I'm emotional, but it must have looked insane. You're standing in like in the church in my parents' town, um, you know, singing Silent Night, me just weeping, gen- on the verge of sobbing, to be honest. Um, and I can't even quite place why. Yeah, my wife is exactly the same way, where it'll be like, uh, kids local kids will have like a performance and she'll be like no i can't go i'll just sob loudly through the entire thing oh my god i that's exactly and i used to kind of like um i don't know how i can't just i don't know what the right word is but i used to have a kind of maybe annoyed reaction to people who would to kind of say that be like no no it's gonna make me too emotional you know just like all right handle your emotions but i that's me now um i like can't listen to certain grateful dead songs because um it will just wreck me. Jerry is too it's too close to his death. It still hurts too it's much. It's too soon. No, it's it's more particular songs and like or like there's some where I can listen to a cover, but yeah, I can't listen to Jerry sing it. Um which is uh, unfortunate because it's music that I like. <laughs> yeah, and it, it is fascinating because I'm not um I'm not a huge crier. I like I definitely cry when like sad things happen. So yeah. like uh, a pet dies, or a person that I know and care about dies. Yeah, it's like uh, normal. <laughs> that well, that's so like so like sad really evokes crying for me. Yeah. Um, emotionally overwhelmed is a thing that evokes crying for my wife. Mm. Um, and that I would say that that generally, let's say let's say ninety nine percent of the time does not happen to me. But there will be um occasions that is just like, oh my god, this. This piece of media is making me cry, and almost nothing, like, no, like, media thing makes me cry. That's amazing. Um, What has made you cry? um, The end of um, uh, a game called Kentucky Route Zero. Um, it, which is like a, a weird, like, kind of like modern point and click, um, magical realism thing about like class and Appalachia. And it makes me have a bunch of feelings about like community and suffering and all that stuff. Uh, and then it also has like a really powerful like hymn at the end, like as like the denouement, um, of like all of this, like, terrible thing in community like getting people through the like the terrible thing and then having this like really beautiful hymn uh kind of like over it was really powerful um and i'm trying to think of what the fuck the name is of the other song um but it's like so so the original song is like a um it was created as like a a, like a tongue-in-cheek song i think it's like when the world 
caves in, something like that. Um, and it's like, I think it was like, uh, written to be t- tongue in cheek about, um, nuclear, like nuclear apocalypse with, with Theresa May and Donald Trump. Oh my God. But, but then it was covered in a much more like sincere way. Um, and, uh, it, there's like a line where it's like, um, it's, it's like, it's you I watch TV with. Like, it, it's like a very, like, it's meant to be cheeky, but then like when you cover it sincerely, like, it's a very sweet, like, interpersonal thing oh. about like, um, that was like, I was listening to it and I'm like, I'm like, wow, oh my God, this song is making me cry. That's, that's like really, really, like almost never happened. Rare. Yeah. That, that says a lot though. Yeah. That there's something that moves you that much. I wonder. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder what would happen if you kind of like cataloged these, you know, obviously it would be a less long list than to just yeah. kind of look at like, huh, is there is there an underlying theme? Because I, I know the things that make one one thing, because I think there's a lot of things, but one thing in particular that has made me cry, and this is new as of, I feel like starting last late summer or midsummer, and just, I guess, forever, maybe now, um, is watching, like watching people derive enormous joy from from something else so not even just you know watching people being happy but like i started noticing it at the when i went to see dead and company this summer what was really getting me choked up was watching all the deadheads you know old people who have been fans forever you know young new fans just losing their mind just so so overwhelmed with joy to be there and you know to see them on stage hear their favorite song and then recently i was uh, or no just before christmas i was passing through grand central station and there was a couple that had, had just gotten married or was about to get married i don't know where but they had come out into the station and there's this guy who always plays um i forget what it's like trumpet out there or in the station um and he's usually playing kind of silly stuff but um he was playing Can't Help Falling in Love with You and they, the couple was dancing and that wasn't really what got me. It was watching the tourists who I, you know, I imagine are so many of them. They've come to New York. It's the first time or it's a rare treat and it's Christmas and they them getting to see this, you know, kind of special, unusual thing was what got yeah. me. Um, I was like, that's, that's, I love that for them. They get to see this really nice scene, you know, couple at Christmas getting married in Grand Central Station, you know. And you went from I'm walking over here to I'm sobbing over <laughs> Yeah. Genuinely, that's kind of been my my uh, the past six months or so. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, also like like so like the the answer is like maybe it's just a totally fine normal thing, but also like maybe go see someone about your endocrine system. <laughs> oh God, I hope I don't have some. I mean, I'm already prone to assuming that something horrible is going on in my body if like. And it's not to be horrible. I'm going to just be like, hey, you need meds or whatever. Well, to be honest, I think it was that I went off a med that was had a slight, it reduced anxiety, but had a slight kind of numbing effect to things. I think it was going mm-hmm. off that, um, that beat that launched this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, med changes will do all sorts of fucking bullshit to you. Oh, yeah. But it's funny because it persisted long after, you know, withdrawal symptoms from this medication stopped. So I I guess TBD, if it's just like, this is how I really am, or if it was just lingering adjustments to the world. Well, I think like the, the wild thing is like, I know what my brain is like without fucking uh, med, like an SSRI, and it fucking sucks. Yeah. Oh, that's so hard, though, because it's like, you know, you want to say like, oh, I can figure it out or tough it out, but. No, I have a chemical imbalance. <laughs> no, my brain doesn't make an or whatever. My body doesn't make enough fucking serotonin. Yeah. Like there is no amount of of white knuckle. I white knuckled um 
uh, during the summer of COVID, like the 2020. Oh, God. Right. I went, I went like the summer of 2020 without meds. Well, it was COVID. So lots of things were shut down or really complicated to get. Yeah, that's true. And my doctor wouldn't just refill medicine. I had to come in. And when you're not on meds, your mental illness, um, is intensified. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so like become very avoidant of doing things. Or at least I become very avoidant of doing oh, things. Same. Yep. Um, and, uh, as such, I spent like a good three, four months no meds, uh, in the, like one of the worst times in history to go no meds, honestly. I am so sorry. I didn't know that. That's awful. (laughs) It's terrible. I was, well, it was, it was tough, right? Because like at a certain point, like I was being integrated into the team in a different way than I was before. Yes. Uh, when you and I were working together and, um, our, uh, friend and former colleague BJ would just like routinely like welcome me. It was like a very cheerful, like, how are you doing? And I'm just like, terrible. <laughs> bad. Terrible. Really bad. Uh, yeah, bad. Which is like literally why I ask about animals because like for a long time, if I asked people how they were doing or if I was asked how people were doing, like, oh, how are you doing? Um, the answer's like fucking terrible. It's terrible. Have you seen the world? It's awful. Yeah. And even with that, even not being like in the you know the the initial height of a pandemic um not to say that we're not in one anymore but um world is still pretty bad and also like i if you'd asked me that at the start of this because i love the animal question i really like that a lot for Mm -hmm. for many reasons um but if you'd asked me that there's a really high chance i would have way overshared a just like minor but deeply not fun just small (laughs) like bodily issue I'm having and Mm -hmm. you know it would have felt felt good to talk to you about it but maybe not on a recording (laughs) yeah like yeah absolutely and it's just like hey how are you doing well, <laughs> let me hold, let me slap open my fucking journal. Here you go. Yeah, you um, describe in great detail. <laughs> yeah, or I could be like, "I'm great, everybody. I'm having a great time." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I have a like. I, I you probably have noticed. I have a hard time uh, not wearing my emotions on my sleeve, and that's something I really, I really like and admire. To be honest, um, it's to be like, no, things are fine. Don't worry about it. It's not a. I don't. I don't deliver that very believable. I'd be like, "What are you? What are you good?" <laughs> <laughs> Answer: No. Uh, <laughs> um, but back to Dark Souls. Um, how are you? Because obviously, Bloodborne is your primary point of contact. Mm-hmm. How are you feeling about it in comparison? Like, is it? Is it living up to that experience, or is it just, like, a completely, not, I mean, obviously not completely, but, like, is it different enough that you're not even really comparing the two substantially? Um, I definitely, yeah, I mean, these are, this is a good kind of series of questions. Um, I'm definitely doing some comparison. They are, um, more different than I expected, which is really nice. Um, I, the thing about Bloodborne is it was the first one I played and the first really game kind of like this that is, because I think there are, there are games even outside of FromSoft that are just that, you know, the point is that they're difficult and somewhat punishing and, you know, they're for like, you know, getting intensely into it. Um, Bloodborne is the first kind of game like that, the first FromSoft. Um, and I think there's that will it will always be sp- special for being a thing that sort of made me realize that I really enjoy this, whatever you call this genre. Um 
I think I- masochism. He's something like that. Yeah. <laughs> psychological- how Molly became a masochist. Right, right. How genuinely just complete psychological kind of destruction, but in a cool way. Um, and Bloodborne, I think I, I don't think I will find something that I love more in terms of I just, I love the aesthetic, the sort of the story, certain, I mean, I liked a lot of the bosses, but there are several bosses that I just adored in Bloodborne. Um, Dark Souls, I really didn't expect to like it as much as I do. I didn't expect to find it as as fun and as absorbing as Bloodborne because I love like I love fantasy and high fantasy, but it, that's never been like what I'm most into. Um, like I'm not gaga over it in the way that I frankly yeah. am for more like horror adjacent things and kind of gothic things, which is why it makes sense that I kind of prefer Bloodborne's aesthetic. But um, I really do. I'm really enjoying Dark Souls 3 and I've gotten really, um, really engrossed. I love my weird little character. His name is Goo, G-H-O. Mm. And he looks like really sad. Um, you never see his face because he's got, you know, an armor hood thing on. But uh, he looks really sad. But he's a little freak. <laughs> yeah, I knew I was because I was foolish going into Bloodborne. I made a really kind of cheery, rosy cheeked sort of uh, Hagrid style character and I knew better with goo. I made him just broken to begin with. But he's gotten so yeah, that's I mean that sounds right. Yeah. <laughs> um so like how what what um I don't know too much, but I do know that like in those games, like pe- people think that magic is like the one that is like the hey, if you don't want to struggle some sort of magic build uh, or like a like a combo of magic and uh melee is like the not the necessarily the cheese build but like this is the build that you are going to be you're going to have the best time with and not struggle with you know that's interesting i because i know i've known from the start that that's a thing you can like a route you can go um mm. and i mean i guess theoretically if you really wanted to take your sweet time with it you could just you know amp all your stats and kind of have both options but that would be kind of insane um, so you do have to choose. Um, I see ways. I, I haven't experienced playing as like a sort of magic forward character. I see ways in which that would make certain things, many things, like a lot easier and just less mm. stressful. Um, yeah. I also see ways in which it's it's just a different type of of handicap um, because there are some bo- there's some instances where you're just someone else is moving too quickly or you're in too close quarters for it to. Um, be an advantage um, that you have to like stand back and take your time and cast some spell or whatever. Um, and I see myself, I, I would like to try a magic build at some point, but I do see myself getting pretty mad uh, if I were to repeatedly try to, you know, cast something and just keep getting just absolutely bodied by some awful villain. Um, so I, I, I really enjoyed melee too because it has just made me get good at a kind of coordination that doesn't exist anywhere else in life. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's been really satisfying to build that skill. I think that's something I didn't foresee is like even beyond being like, oh yeah, I beat this really hard boss, feeling really proud of just like learning to get better at something, which I think we don't often have to do in our real lives. You know, your job might not challenge you and you might not challenge yourself in particular ways. Um but it is making me do a thing that I feel reluctant to do, which is like hard work <laughs> or that, that's not quite right. Cause I don't, I have no, I don't object to working, but I, I have an initial resistant reaction. If I am not amazing at something that I want to be good at immediately, I get very upset because I am like uh, insane in that particular way. Yeah. And it's just made me have to like come up against that and then say, okay, you're not amazing at this. You suck actually. And you have to put the work in and you have to practice. And I reach a sort of, you could call it a Zen state or you could, you could call it a kind of broken state of then being like, well, ground up baby. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like you're joining the military and they spend like six weeks, like 
like removing your ego like hey this part of your fucking brain it's it's done now it's, it's not it doesn't exist anymore yeah which I, I don't love that the idea of that in the military because yeah like the real world yeah is bad for you right because then it's like someone else just installs their own software into your brain but when it's something and it's the u.s government <laughs> which wolf this entire country um but yeah, when it's something you undertake voluntarily and it's like, you know, I want to grow in this particular way um, or, you know, I want to do this thing. And so I have to grow in this particular way. Um, it is, I think, very good to shed ego because I think it is about ego, even though like I know intellectually I can't just like do something for the first time and be amazing at it. But yeah. a little a small part of my ego is like, yes, but if you did, that would make you special and you want to be special, don't you? <laughs> so uh, how much because I know that you have like uh, obviously you have some like academic background, but mm-hmm. like how much like crit like open crit did were you were you uh introduced to when you were in college uh wait what do you mean by that so like hey here's a piece the whole class and the professor is critiquing your shit in front of you um a lot actually because i've done a lot of creative writing for a long time um and i used to do this is longer ago you know pre-college but um i did used to do you know theater and and sing classically um and often you yeah you'd be on stage and just get me getting feedback in front of everyone and I don't, I've never minded that, actually. My problem is, because other people, ideally and generally, you know, even the harshest kind of like, you know, say like classroom creative writing workshop setting, even the like, you know, worst delivered criticism you're going to get from a peer is probably, you know, it might not be delivered well, but it's not the worst thing in the world. And you can also say like, "Hmm, that maybe doesn't serve me or like, oh, this other thing is a really good point. Um, My problem is myself as my own critic is very, very mean. Um, I am really, really mean mean to me in my brain um so i actually can i really relish feedback from other people i do not relish feedback from me (laughs) yeah no i get it i feel like so i i did some art school stuff and um mine was more on the the visual arts side and um that really is like a great way to like break you down uh in a certain way or just basically like listen you're gonna deal with a lot of criticism and professionally yeah and you need like this is going to really suck for a while but this you building these calluses will serve you in the long run right right i mean i think that that has served me really well when it comes to like you know writing and submitting stuff for instance like stories or whatever um i'm i don't you know i i take rejection frankly very well um again yeah like in in applied real life circumstances I take I, I've developed that in a way that has been really helpful and help, like enabled me to try stuff and put myself out there um, yeah. I yeah it's just when, I, when I'm alone on my own which is unfortunately the only way you can really work for you know doing writing or something like that or um, uh, like I am the only thing standing in my way when it comes to anything really <laughs> yeah. yeah no I get it like the b- brains are terrible really? they're a, a prison that is us we're our own prison yeah you should be able to leave like sometimes you know and come honestly it's inhumane that we can't yeah i mean not just sleep i feel like i should be able to be awake and like like not you know not have to perceive myself for a time yeah i'll be also when you're sleeping you're also imprisoned by your fucking brain like hey <laughs> here's are you, you're imprisoned by stuff while you're awake here's all this reality check this out it can be any terrible bullshit while you're sleeping oh god yeah here's a horrible fucking dream where everyone you love dies <laughs> yeah here's things here's i'm gonna make you do stuff that you would never do oh god it is terrible in the real world although i have to say i'm feeling not antagonist or toward even that because i have just recently undergone a f- several months of uh insomnia and hell um so frankly uh. i'll take the nightmares <laughs> as long as i'm asleep <laughs> 
That's yeah. No, I get it. Like I, I, I definitely don't have like an insomnia, like a, a, uh, like a, like a diagnosable condition. But there have been scenarios where I have had uh, trouble, like sleep, for for external reasons, not like biological reasons, and uh, it sucks. Yeah, it's not. I, I haven't. Yeah, I've thankfully not dealt with like chronic, you know, a chronic condition of it, but um. The first, like the thing that I keep thinking is just like how do people do it who have dealt with this their whole lives? I don't know how they're sane. It's fucking hard, and it stresses them out a lot. <sighs> yeah, it's something that I think is a fascinating thing that I didn't understand as a child or a young person, but that like emotions and especially stress, it isn't solely mental. Mm. It is. It manifests in your fucking physical body, literally. So that shit sucks. <laughs> and like, I didn't think that that like when I was when I was young, I was like, oh, okay, like you know, you're stressed out about a thing, and like you feel bad internally in your brain. But, like, that's not going to impact your physical body. No, it turns out it's fucking hella bad for you. Ooh, it can and it will, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you'll just die. Turns out, if you're not working on it, uh, it'll just kill you. But you know what? You know what is so helpful for people who are inclined to feel, like, stressed and kind of have that penetrate their very core? You know what's so helpful is knowing that and being like, I have to not be stressed or I'll die. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, that is if you have the tools to not be stressed. Yeah, man. <laughs> I, 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 that is, I mean, that was part of my insomnia loop and not, to, I will not, won't get too hung up on this because frankly, the less I talk about it, the better, but that was part of it was then like being like, okay, I didn't sleep. That's so bad. And I have to sleep tonight. And then in the night, you know, not being able to fall asleep for one, two, three, four hours, the, lo- the more time that goes on, the more I'm like, this is taking years off my life. I'm going to get, you know, hypertension and I'm going to have a heart attack and I'm going to die. And that's not really conducive to falling asleep now, is it? <laughs> Yeah, where it's like, I remember being young and like something like, uh, Christmas. Um, like I would, so I turns out have anxiety and I've had it for a long time, but I didn't know what it was. Um, and, um, and when I was young, it would be like, I can't sleep in the lead up to Christmas because like it's exciting, but also like anxiety inducing. And because there's like, it's big and you're going to talk to a bunch of people and all, yada, yada, yada. Um, and, uh, being, not being able to sleep for that reason when I was very young, which is very different than my my experiences of not being able to sleep as an adult. Mm -hmm. Um, and the like, oh my god, it's three o'clock. Oh my god, it's four o'clock. I'm not going to be able to get, like, I'm not going to be rested at all. I'm going to be, like, worn out on Christmas morning or Christmas afternoon or whatever. Oh no, you got Um, that as a kid? Oh yeah, yes. Oh, Grant! (laughs) Yeah, I'm like eight-year-old Grant, and I'm fucking wigging out. Oh no, that's, because I remember, yeah, I had, uh, there was one Christmas where I woke up at three in the morning just naturally and was so excited I started opening my presents because I was a monster only one year I did that um but I was one who would get everyone up super early but I, when I was younger it was like I remember like early high school just being like I'm gonna stay up all night just because and it was exhilarating and I just slept the next day and I didn't care like now oh yeah like, when you're in high school who cares well but, but even so like even as a kid I, like I didn't think about like oh I won't be arrested that's I'm so sorry that you had to think about that as a kid <laughs> Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. I mean, like, turns out having anxiety is just a fucking miserable experience for everyone. For you, for the people around you. I think about, like, the early, early granting. It's honestly a, a miracle that I w- had have relationships uh, before I was medicated. 
um, oh. where it would be like, I hey, I have a date with somebody, and like, I need to be there an hour early. Oh, yeah, that's because that's just ultra good manners. <laughs> I guess, but it's like, what if something happens? What if I'm delayed? I have to be there an hour early to make in time in, in case something bad happens. Yeah, um, I mean, I feel like that kind of anxiety more like definitely I struggle with the way that my anxiety affects people around me too, and then it that turns into like meta layers of anxiety that that make everyone unhappy. But I will, I mean, I think like the reason other than you being just a wonderful, delightful person, the reason it doesn't deter like relationships is that I think it like, I think one thing that I'm realizing, um, and by realizing, I mean, I'm asking people this in a panic and having it confirmed for me that like, mostly when you're an anxious person, like there is stuff that affects other people, but it's mostly affecting you. And you spin up this like idea of your, or like this impression of yourself that you are just like this ball of awful, anxious energy and everyone else can see it. But much of the time they don't see that Uh, versus there are much, there are many worse things and worse ways to be that rightfully put people off. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but also like I experience, like I see the world and I'm just like, what must it be like to not have anxiety? Where people being like, ah, I mean, let's, we're, (laughs) we're, we're already late, so um, I'll just make a sandwich before we go. And I'm just like, what the fuck is your life? <laughs> like, what, what, what? Your brain is so far from my brain that it's, I find it hard to even, like, to, like, do the thing where, like, you're empathizing, you're, like, trying to put yourself in, in their shoes and, like, what they're experiencing. And it's like, this is like looking at a fucking alien. Yeah, no, it, it's, it's, I feel like it's one of the, like, brain things that is hardest to set aside and imagine someone else's point of view. <laughs> I, I've had that recently where I've asked, like, I, it's just, it's been a tough, it was a tough, like, second half of last year. And and now just because anxiety reasons, I would say mostly, but I'll have these moments where I, I, could just, I can find endless things to attach my anxiety to um, that may be valid to worry a little bit about, but not the way that I do. But sometimes I'll ask Cole, I'll say like, hey, like, I'll get these glimpses. I'll be like, hey, is everything actually like, is everything actually okay? Like, am I, am I okay? And everything's fine? He's like, yeah, that's what I've been trying to tell you. I mean, not the world, but like, you know, us and me and my life right. and my own stuff. I'll be like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll get really excited because I've had a moment and a breakthrough. And then I very quickly, I'll like have this brief glimmer and then I'll very quickly go back to like, no, 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 you got to be a moment of clarity, as they say. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, if I'm not worrying about this stuff, who will? <laughs> Yeah, it's a great, it, I mean, it's awesome because, like, a lot of the people who don't have anxiety, um, just don't, like, foresee problems. So, like, that's the kind of, like, the reason why, like, anxiety, or, like, that's the argument of, like, why anxiety has been a thing that has been able to, like, hang on in people in, like, the population and not driven that out, uh, through natural selection. It's like, some amount of anxiety is fucking good for you because that means that you're not, <laughs> you're not gonna starve to death or whatever. Oh, God, but I hate that because that means, so like I have I have you know not not diagnosed but distinct touches of of light kind of obsessive compulsion stuff. Mm-hmm. It's never been it's never derailed my life by any stretch, but it it does impact my my mental state and often takes up a lot of my time. I don't like it. Um, yeah. And it's part of why I go to bed so late and get no sleep. But um, it's funny because I think part of the like training yourself out of that part of the kind of therapy for it is like, you know, there's different ways to approach it, you know, letting, you know, go like these things you, ha- you know, quote unquote, have to do. Like I do a lot of checking before I go to bed at night around the house um, yeah. and like some reasonable stuff, which is like, make sure the oven is off. Although the way I check it is like, there's a number of times I will check the knobs kind of thing. So that's nuts. But um, there's also like, I have to like look under this armchair in my living room. Like what's going to be there? Who's who's? going to be under there. Nobody. But I got to do it. But so part of it is kind of like, you know, making yourself stop doing these things, you know, slowly and 
and then not going back to doing it to make yourself feel better. Just, you know, being like, I didn't do it and everything was fine. And reinforcing that idea that like, oh, I don't have to do this and like everything will be fine. The disaster that I expected is not arriving. It's actually okay for me not to do this. But the evolutionary stuff suggests that it has paid off for people to be over vigilant because then it's like the one time, one time it serves you, then uh, you live. So Well, yeah, well, I mean, that's why it's a disorder, right? Is like, because like a little bit of anxiety good yeah a lot of bit of anxiety very bad or like again checking the stove good i'm ha- i could keep yeah. that one um checking like in the oven before i go to bed it's gonna yeah. be in there <laughs> it's like i haven't used the oven in weeks nothing's there it's not about that it's uh you gotta make every every day grant every day you gotta make sure nothing's yeah. in there <laughs> yeah no i get like i i, I understand it's like I, I, a conversation i have with people who have um like uh who there are specific foods like they will eat well, they, like they they find the idea of eating um like ground beef uh to be like really repulsive oh yeah but that but but they'll eat like sausage and it's like it isn't a logic thing oh, yeah. there's no there there isn't logic here it's like a it, it is a much more like base like brain stem ass thing happening yeah. here <laughs> yeah there's like so, some in zero logic maybe some associations but often random yeah or at least like so like so convoluted in how it, this happened that you're never gonna find out like what the fucking deal is oh yeah and i think at a certain point and this is one thing i've had to let go of is just like sometimes you're not gonna know you're not going to know why a thing happens, why you are the way that you are. Um, the important thing is like, well, like, how do you deal with that? Or how do you want to be? Or how do you stop doing the thing that's making you unhappy? At a certain point, it's like, I, I really like to try to figure out why stuff is, why I'm yeah. like this. But, you know, how does that actually help me if it's not, sometimes it's part of the equation of like, you know, moving on from something. But very often it's like, well, it's not going to help me not be like this. So who cares? Yeah, when I was diagnosed, the panic disorder i was just like so um like shocked and like that can't be right i don't feel panicked because like i didn't really understand what a panic attack was um but it was like the first time i had an identifiable panic attack when like and now that i think about it it, i probably had them as a child too i can think of sometimes that was probably a panic attack as a kid but when uh, the first time that like i had a a full-on panic attack as an adult um that like sent me like i need to go to a doctor because i was really worried that my heart was like gonna explode or um um and um the, the doctor's like oh this is panic disorder and i'm like no um and but i was i was in a movie theater we were we were watching uh, it was me and my cousin and we were watching crank 2 high voltage <laughs> And, um, it was like nothing stressful was happening. Like, I mean, maybe that movie's a little stressful, but that's not like, it was fine. I wasn't like, there was no, no reason for me. Like, there isn't like an identifiable trigger yeah. for the, my panic attacks almost all of the time. Um, I have had a handful of like, there is a huge stressor here um that spins me out spun me out of control but i would say like nine out of ten times when i would have a panic attack and i thankfully haven't had a panic attack in years um um i'm well controlled on meds but uh it was like i don't know man i was like vibing (laughs) 
<laughs> like I wasn't doing anything. It was nothing. Nothing had changed. Nothing distinct. Like nothing bad had happened, or even like noticeable had happened. Like I at that time, I was going to the movie theater like a, like every other week. It's like I was just going to see a movie with somebody that I like know and had an established relationship with. Yeah. And I uh, really like wh- when you're looking, you're like, okay, well, what could it be? Like, I don't fucking know. Yeah. Your brain's just your brain's just wonky. Your your chemicals are bad. Yeah. No, but that, that's really that's really real. It can. I've I've had two panic attacks in my life, and you know what's weird is that they were both at a show, different venues, same artist, and I had to leave. Huh. Um, and it's kind of funny. It was uh, Caroline Paul check of chairlift who i love oh but, uh, i do like caroline Polachek. i know well, it was so, so so hot or hurting you're hurting my family it was a great song. maybe she was too hot and i freaked out i don't know yeah <laughs> it was hurting your feelings it was hurting my feelings um but yeah or even the other night we were watching the departed which i've seen before so it also well it was like a i don't find movies stressful ever b i'd seen it before c nothing was wrong and nothing was happening but i had this sudden welling up of like doom and it was like my heart wasn't racing like nothing there were no actual symptoms other than like i suddenly felt full of dread um you're dying like that is that is my experience with panic uh disorder is like oh i'm dying (laughs) i'm I'm gonna real soon (laughs) ah yeah it was so bad. I was like, I was like, I don't think it's the microprocesses, you know. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's bad. It's all bad. What else have you been playing? Or, or, or actually, before other games, have you? Uh, you went from from Bloodborne and you touched uh, Dark Souls one. Now you're playing Dark Souls three. You didn't play um the hell is the other game? What the hell is the open world game named? The most recent Elden, game, oh. the, the yeah, Elden Ring. You didn't play Elden Ring. No, right? I haven't played it yet. Um, Cole is playing it, and so I'm watching and occasionally helping and and like not really helping. Um, but we actually Cole playing a video game like a normal person, like ah, uh, you know, I'll chip away at it. Where I'm like, yeah. unlike like me and Jared, I'm just playing video games like degenerates. No, yeah, he's been playing it. Um, yeah, chipping away at it probably since it came out, and he's. I mean, part of it is that he's really, really thorough in his exploration of that. Like he's got to do every uh, he sees it he does it you know sees about- you see that mountain over there you can walk to genuinely it. um which i think is a cool because he's discovered so much stuff and even only recently discovered still something that like he hadn't yet which is what's crazy about that game but um but also i think like he's also been very excited about and invested in my my experience of like games that he is familiar with so that's been nice and then he can also tag team with me if i'm just like like i, I can't do this boss run again i will throw the controller through the tv like you have to do it for me i'll do that yeah really very kind um but we also played uh well we tore through because i i think i told you about this uh we tore through grim fandango mm-hmm. and day of the tentacle which oh my god well you haven't talked about day of the tentacle oh yet god, I was, which is like it. the thing that has for like the, i don't know if there's a game that has more influenced me as a human than day of the tentacle really more than monkey island more than oh yeah way more than like i didn't play monkey island until i was like a teenager i played day of the tentacle in the like mid 90s oh that's awesome i didn't realize i wanted to talk to you about it because i know we hadn't um and Cole was asking the other day, he was like, because I, I, I had, you know, heard a lot about Grim Fandango from you, and Cole was asking, you know, is that his favorite, or, you know... No, <laughs> Day of the Tentacle and Sam and Max are definitely my my all-time favorite. Oh, yeah, I haven't played any Sam and Max, but I know Cole did when he was little. Um, but I did play a putt-putt game when I was little. Okay, yeah, so, yeah, that's that's good old Ron. Yeah. Um, but um, I want to hear everything you have to say about Day of the Tentacle, because I fucking love that game, and I have played it... I, <sighs> I mean, because it's so short. Yeah. 
that might be the game that I have played, I have replayed to completion the most of any game ever. Oh man, I do, I want to replay it as soon as I forget the majority of the puzzles, I'm going to need to replay it. Um, I loved it so much. It, cause I, so I know about, you know, Maniac Mansion and that there's a kind of relationship mm-hmm. there. I never played Maniac Mansion. I like know a lot about it. Um, mm-hmm. I think Cole, I, I would like to play it sometime. He was kind of like, yeah, we can play it. He was like, you know, I wouldn't put it high on the list of things where kind of, I'm like having my grand, you know, full education in, in games um but he was like yeah because like it it, it it lays the groundwork that the rest of lucas art adventure games yeah. needed but it definitely is the most primitive of them primitive. like it, yeah but also like complex weirdly yeah oh yeah like yes absolutely like needlessly like because that's the way video games were at the time yeah. um and so like of like oh well you just like poke at the thing until you fuck figure out the puzzle box eventually um and then eventually like the the design matured a lot right. um but obviously like none of that happens if like maniac mansion doesn't exist exactly and i i I'd known about it vaguely um and yeah, I don't know. For, yeah, I never came like actually played it as a kid. But I mean, I think I've told you I did play a ton of King's Quest, which is funny because Cole finds those games like needlessly, like in the kind of games that you know you can play as a kid, you can play as an adult. He finds those needlessly punitive, and I don't find that at all. Just because I think I got used to it, I was like, yeah, you guys save your game a lot because you'll die, you'll fall off something, someone will just. Yeah, I'm definitely a, with with Cole. I am a I'm a Lucas Arts uh, kind of guy of like don't lock me out of stuff because I didn't pick up a fucking piece of paper or whatever like that sucks oh man yeah i mean i think i also got lucky that i never like completely blew like a game in that way and also when you save your game a lot you you can have a lot of save files and so you can go back um but that was what i was used to so the point and click my i initially had kind of like even the later king's quest games that are point and click i initially had kind of a negative reaction to because i just i wanted to type in Mm -hmm. the commands i wanted to use my arrows to walk around but um you know obviously as you know like with monkey island i really fell in love with that style and with like Ron Gilbert and um, ugh, the other guys, Tim and Tim Schaefer. Yeah, wait, who's isn't there a guy? Dave, Gr- Dave. Dave Grossman is co-led uh, Day of the Tentacle. Yes, um, I love Day of the Tentacle. I the puzzles to me were just right. Like there were some really tough ones, but they didn't. When you solved them, like there might have been a major mislead at some point, but like when you solved them, you were like, okay, that's cool and clever. Versus, I I really really loved Grim Fandango and the story in particular. I loved and the characters. But there were some puzzles where when I figured them out, I was like, that shit sucks. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. Like, it, it's not nearly as good. Uh, like, I I think that, like, there there are aspects of Grim Hennego that are great, uh-huh. but I think that, like, the puzzle-solving stuff in that game is not, is not as good. Yeah, some of them um, are just, like, I put in all this brain work, and it was something that doesn't even make any sense. Whereas, at least in Day of the Tentacle, like, there was one puzzle, I believe it was the puzzle with the, the statue where you have to have, like, the statue that the guy is building, like, switch hands. Oh, yes, exactly, where you're, because you're, you're doing something in the, in the, in the past yes. that changes the present. Right, and so we we, we were just convinced that there was something, I don't remember the details now, but there was something like more, because we got the, the hand switched, so like, great. But we were convinced there was something else we needed to do with that in order to, in the present, with Bernard, get the lady out of the room with like all the, the you know, TV monitors. 
push a lady down the stairs right right so we were so convinced we had to do something we were like we know she loves like elvis maybe we need to make the statue likeness of elvis and distract her and then finally we we had just gone around and you know bounced between puzzles but we just tried so hard to puzzle it out and then finally i said i was just like god i wish we could just push her out of the way and cole tried it and that was it and i was like that's actually really funny (laughs) yeah it's it's probably like sam and max and they have the tentacle are probably the only games that i well probably full throttle too um i i know like the solution to every single puzzle just naturally like i I, and well because it's like and it's not it's not like oh because grant's brain is so good it's like because grant has played those games so many fucking times yeah i mean i have that for king's quest 4 specifically was it was the first one i played and the one i played the most but it's and it's less you know there's less like oh this is a discrete kind of puzzle you tackle but i could with at every stage of that game i could be like yeah here's what you need to do next oh and don't forget to do that oh and that thing is over there and this is how you get through this thing i could do that for that entire game um even though it's been a year since I've played. Yeah, uh, so they have the tentacle. There are lines that are just, like, uh, etched into my brain. Oh, so, um, it's so funny. Um, sounds like the cat's called a moose. I <laughs> use that all the time. Um, uh, hope I didn't jostle ya. Uh, <laughs> Hokey has some of the greatest lines. Uh, they're really good. Um, like, uh, like uh, also, like, in, like, Little Grant, like, Damn Good Coffee was, was, um, through there, but that also it's like, oh, that's like a Twin Peaks reference like, now that I'm an adult. Right, right, right. right. Oh, that, yeah, I forgot. Because I was thinking, about, I was like, wait, which one came first? But then I, yeah, I was from Twin Peaks. But, um, yeah, I love, I just love, I love Hoagie so much. Um, I, I really relate to his, he's his sort of good natured, but recalcitrant spirit. You know, I don't wanna. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, that's right. That's fair. I told you I went as Dr. Fred as a kid, right? As for Halloween. No, right? you didn't tell me that. Uh, let me see. I'll, I'll find it and put it in the chat. Cause I, I, cause when I interviewed, uh, Ron Gilbert, uh, when I was a writer at Extreme Tech. Um, Wait, I didn't know you interviewed Ron Gilbert. I've definitely shared it before. So, but maybe it, maybe it had, it didn't, um, I'll put, you know why? I'll put the link. Probably it left my brain is sometimes when things are really insane, I forget them and then I get to re experience the yeah, your life <laughs> that you lived. Exactly. Um, I'm putting it in chat. Uh, if people want, if people want to see it, um, uh, it's on extremetech.com. The title is point and click. An interview with Ron Gilbert, the creator of Monkey Island, on making old games with new tools. Oh, hell yeah. From 2014, from a decade ago, because I'm so old. No, you're you're only at least 10 years old. That's what that means. Um, Plus a few years for, you know, speech and and verbal verbal skills. Also, it looks like they have updated the the layout, which has really fucked up the layout of of this uh, article and makes the interview fucking unreadable. I was going to say, it looks good so far, but they've, uh, all the lines have gone together that's that's real man um we did also play thimbleweed park which i had helped cole finish like the last third of the game because he was in the middle of it when we started um dating i.e like spending all of our time together um but i hadn't gone through the whole game so we did that too yeah so this was uh when he started a kickstarter to do uh thimbleweed and this is an interview i did with him oh so wait so yeah because that came out 2017 so this is like early stages oh yeah because like he had just announced he had just done the the crowdfunding wow oh wow i didn't realize it started that far back yeah i'm an old 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 man why not (laughs) you're not old again only at least 10 years old um yeah because i know you for one thing you have to go watch the video the kickstarter video for the solution to one of the final puzzles yeah which was really fun and funny i thought it was going to be like encoded in it but they straight up just kind (laughs) of tell you (laughs) thimbleweed park has like the the 
like semblance of what they do with Monkey Island, what Rhonda and and uh, the team does with Monkey Island, of like the the hint system. It's kind of it's not quite there, but like it's pretty close to being there in in Thimbleweed Park. Yeah, I um I used the hint line a couple times because I was just like, this is getting ridiculous. Um, it went, I was just stuck on something for so long. And one of those times it gave me kind of too much info too readily where I was like, oh, I kind of wanted a prompt or maybe I, maybe I tried it three times. Cause one time that happened one time it gave me just the right nudge. And another mm-hmm. time it straight up, it was one of those. It was just like, you need to figure this out. Like, <laughs> don't be an idiot. Yeah. I was like, okay, fair enough. <laughs> And I, I really love that the, the, the like levels of it because like there are some things that is just like your brain will not find its way there. Yeah. Like there's no amount of staring at this problem in which your brain will find the solution. Yeah. Or sometimes it's like, cause I think there's different types of puzzles, right? And sometimes it's like you need to piece together in your head, like, oh, I know where I have to go or what I have to do. And then sometimes it's like, I know, you know, I need to get this thing on the screen. It's up here. How do I get from here to there? And you're just trying stuff. Um, and they're both really, they both can be really difficult in different ways. You can really get stuck on either type of problem. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, George Washington, uh, the whole scene, oh uh, probably the past is probably my favorite part of the game. I can remember my dad in the 90s, <laughs> um, me being stuck on the, where you have to paint the kumquats red. Yes. Oh my God. And my dad figuring it out in the 90s. And he's like, Grant, you got to come in here. I figured it out. Oh, that's so great. I, that, so that, that one, I remember I, I, that entered my mind like immediately because of the cherry tree stuff. I was like, we're going to have to paint that shit red. But, um, yeah. but there were other ones that were so tricky. Um, but I love that. Yeah. Cause when, when I played King's Quest with my mom and sister when we were little, it, I remember one time I was at a play date at a friend's house and my mom and sister came to pick me up. And they had these like shit eating grins on their faces and they were like, we got the talisman. And I was like, I'm going to lose it that you did that without me. But I, I was glad they got it. But I was like, I can't, this is the worst day of my life. <laughs> like, <laughs> you did it without me. <laughs> yeah. It's also kind of weird of like being a kid in the 90s where like my parents weren't like really that into games, but there were still like kinds of games where we would just be like, yeah, I guess we're playing this game together. That's so nice. Yeah, I like that because it's like you don't have to be a gamer to like dabble in, in a bunch of different kinds of games. Yeah, and especially, like, in the 90s, like, I don't know how familiar you are with it, but, like, it was, like, the time, the multimedia, like, the multimedia generation where every fucking company on the planet was like, what if we made CD-ROM games? Yeah, yeah, yes. Um, and, uh, most of them are atrocious, but they were definitely focused towards more of a casual audience. Right. Um, like, like Mist is like the, like the, the er example. Yeah. Oh, it's so funny because it's like the, the popularity of Mist. Well, weirdly, it's a really hard game, but also like everyone tried it versus like Elden Ring where it's like so popular, but the barrier to entry is like still too high for much of the mainstream. Yeah. I mean, just like having a second stick, like having, having to control the camera is is like a non-starter for huge swaths of the population. Oh gosh, I tried to have my mom play Thimbleweed Park, which I thought she'd love. I think if we'd played it on a computer, she would have gotten into it, but she couldn't, she just really didn't like the controller. She was like overwhelmed. And that, that's not even candle man or candle camera management. That that's just like hey, buttons. Too many buttons. Just too many buttons. Um which is like, I get it. Like, I understand this. If you're not using it, there are so many buttons. But then, like, hilariously, like, as somebody who uses a controller every day, mm-hmm. it's like, 
there could probably be a few more buttons. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're like, if only there was one for this precise use case. <laughs> like, I love using controllers most of the time, but then there will be things where it's like, there's a fuckload of spells in this thing. Um, and it's like, oh, if I did have a whole row of hotkeys, if I was playing, if I was playing this on mouse and keyboard, I would have a whole row of hotkeys for these fucking spells. Oh, God, yeah. Or in, you know, I was helping, I mean, this is the same in the Souls games and in Elden Ring, but um, helping Cole fight this boss where like there's because you've got your flasks to regenerate you know your health various items that usually i don't really mess with stuff in in battle i'm just i'm rolling i'm healing i'm dying a lot um but there's this one particular item you need to use it with this boss moog lord of blood um to avoid like he does this spell in the middle that can really like crash your your hp and so there, but I kept like not being able to cycle through the, like I would cycle too, too far and then have to cycle all the way back to this one item from the flasks. And I was like, if they just had two freaking buttons that you could program. And I feel like, you know, true purists will say, well, that's part of the challenge. And I say that is a lack of um, uh, foresight of customization of controllers. Cause that would be really cool. Yes. I say it could be, your life could be a lot easier while still. It could be a lot easier. <laughs> I also wonder if it would like if you were playing on PC and you could like install mods on stuff, how much that would change your experience. Yeah, that's cool because I, I like because I think there are things like I mean, we've had this conversation before and we don't need to go you know deep into it, but like even something like just kind of you know uh, what do you call it like uh, quality of life upgrades. Yeah, yes. you can program where you know you take the the bow out with this button rather than having to like remember that the right key does this when you're doing this, but something different when you're somewhere else. Like the the perfect example is removing encumbrance in like a Bethesda style game where it's like we're we're like oh you've picked up three things sorry you got to get rid of one of them and it's like what if I could pick up whatever I wanted yeah. at any time yeah exactly because I think like a lot of those are either arbitrary limits or it's just like they designed it the game the game can't handle that and it's like well okay well the arbitrary limits we don't need to we don't need to bother yeah i I think it is like especially on the bethesda side like i think it is like that is just like the way that those people think that games should be made and there are people who agree with them but i think that the majority of people do not agree with them you think those people are wrong and i'm with yes (laughs) i'm like they can be wrong but then people just immediately like day one your video game comes out and people are like I mean, the, the, for like Bethesda games, they, they include things like, uh, like console commands where you just like, the, you can just type in the, like the, basically what they would use in development for testing and things like that. Like you could just do that, which is great, like, which is awesome. But, um, immediately people are like, Hey, what if I didn't have to do all this bullshit? Yeah, exactly. Well, it's funny. I, um, I saw a comment on the, on the boards, as they say, um, of someone, I thought this is so, such a perfect comic that encapsulates just like attitudes toward this, but they were responding to some comment about, you know, they're like, why? Why does everyone love this boss? I think they suck. And someone responded like, um, because, you know, every time you have a really hard boss, a ton of people are going to say they love him because, you know, they just get really obsessed with it and it's an ego thing. And if they beat him, then it becomes a good fight. And if they haven't beat him, it's a bad fight. And, you know, that's mm-hmm. just how it works. Um you know, if you succeed, you probably like it more than if you didn't. <laughs> yeah, a, a, a thing that like humans do, and it's not, I I don't. 
it's not like I, I am immune from it entirely, but I definitely don't feel it in video games of like people attach their ego to how good they are at doing video games. Yeah. Well, I, for me, I'm like, can I play the game and complete it? That's good enough for yeah. me. Yeah. But people like very much have like me being good at this means that I'm like good and valuable as a human. And it's like, dog, that is not the case. Oh, like yeah. I, I know that that is that way in your brain, but that is not the way that the world is. I know, but I mean, we, I suppose we all choose our places where, or like things where that that's true, right? Like, yeah, I mean, like a thing that I, a point of contention with my wife was like she really wanted to move forward on the house, mm-hmm. and like I was very hesitant because, like, also, like, so we were we were working on buying the house um, before the pandemic, and then a pandemic happened, mm-hmm. and it was like even more uncertainty. Yeah, uh, and. I was like, I I wasn't like, like actively dragging my feet, but I wasn't actively working on doing the thing. Yeah. And she was very driven and having the conversation about like, I, part of it is like, I think part of it is being socialized as a boy and a man is like, if you fuck it up, something like a house, like buying a house and you like default or whatever, you are like scum. You're worthless. Like you have, you have done, you have the, like, here's your opportunity. And if you fuck it up, you have fucked up permanently. Yeah. Um, and that is not her experience at all. It's like, she feels like because of how she was, socialized it's like you're resilient like if something bad happens you'll figure it out yeah which like but and it's like oh that is not and i also think that like because so much of my like young adulthood was the was tainted by uh the global economic collapse yeah yeah um it was just like oh like so like for a lot of it it was like oh i probably will just never own a house yeah um and for her it's like of course i'll own a house and i'm like but (laughs) my brain until i eventually like was in a position to do it i'm very lucky to thread the needle on that um yeah yeah. Yeah, explain just barely Uh, just literally just barely was able to like pull it off before the the, the housing market exploded yeah. um and it was like before before it became like financially feasible it was like how how will i ever buy a house right i don't understand how like how will the math will ever work out yeah yeah that's that's kind of where i'm at now but i definitely i feel like i didn't have this yeah i think there there's maybe a bit of a gendered thing to it how you were raised thing uh generational thing but i think like i'm you know i'm glad to have a lot of people you know there's a lot of conversation around of just like it is not like it used to be when like you could buy a house with like it was cheaper and people had better steadier jobs and blah 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 but like i had a really brief phase of being like oh god if i never own a house like does that mean i am not successful and i suck and i just like have not been ambitious enough or like whatever and i very quickly kind of got through that to like okay so i never own a house whatever yeah (laughs) so i we you and i have been talking somewhat recently about like how brutal freelancing was but for so long i was making very little money and it was like oh i'm just not good at saving and like the minute that i had like a full-time employment that paid like not exorbitantly but like a living wage it was immediately i was so easy for me to save like i save so much all the time constantly and just live very 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 much in within my means and it's 
so easy. The the answer is you were not making enough money to to really pay any bills. And not only that, but like you couldn't even begin to save a meaningful amount of money because you didn't have enough money to do the thing, <laughs> your basic things. Yeah, I, I think, you know, it's and it's it's crazy because I think like I, I used to be more frugal than I am now. I would say I would be saving except that like I live at my means and that is mm-hmm. I'm not going to blame it entirely on New York, but it is because of I mean, not, it I don't spend- changes things by living in a very expensive place. I mean, it's just crazy because like I don't spend I spend I'm not like ultra frugal. I'm not, you know, ultra saver. Um, And it could be and I'm not because I, you know, there are things where that I, I prioritize kind of a balance of that and like living my life and having some fun times and a little yes, bit. Like, you're allowed to enjoy yourself. Well, kind of like if I get by a bus tomorrow, I'd be pretty sad if I like didn't do anything fun because whatever. And not that you have to spend money to have fun, but in New York you do. Um, but uh, I, yeah, like I make more money than I ever have now. And I am still breaking even because rent keeps going up and mm-hmm. stuff has gotten like it generated this year in particular. I was like, oh, I'm like noticing it like day to day. It's like, you know, last year this cost this and now it's like fucked versus a more gradual change. Um, but yeah, I would like to I do fantasize about not living in this city and saving a ton of money and um, buying a house. <laughs> You could buy a house in Delaware. I could. Ugh. I mean, not now even, but someday. I don't think you know how little I pay. <laughs> I don't think you know how little money I have saved. <laughs> but, but what would it be like, take, I you don't, you don't need to say it here, but like, think about how much money you pay in rent. And then think what that would, how far that would go on a monthly mortgage in Delaware. That's actually true. Well, the the more it's the down payment that's the issue. The monthly mortgage is no no problem. Well, you don't really have to do the down payment anymore. You don't have to, but it, it's like if you want. It depends. I feel like yeah, that this is the part where it's like being somewhere like Delaware makes it so that you could do less of the down payment and just pay a little more, and it's still like reasonable versus. Here's the here's the fun thing about that I learned buying a house mm-hmm. is that so if you have a conventional loan, there are other types of loans where the this is not true. But if you have a conventional loan, mortgage insurance, you only have to pay and you don't so you're not you don't have the down payment. Um, you only have to pay the mortgage insurance until you hit the threshold of what the down payment would have been. Ooh, that's pretty clever. That's pretty. Um, so like, thankfully, I have the down payment and I didn't have to have mortgage insurance. But like, oh, that's convenient. And so like, mine is like, there's like FHA loans and yada, yada, yada. And then and like, that is not the case. You you have to have mortgage insurance forever is the answer for those things. But there are solutions. And so what I'm saying is. That's good to know. One day we build a compound in Delaware. No, I'm I'm in. That's that that would rule so hard. Can it be near a TJ Maxx? <laughs> uh, good news. There is a TJ Maxx right here in Dover, Delaware, Molly. Oh hell yeah. <laughs> um, excellent news for everything. Uh, so I only have like 10 minutes left. So I, I do want to talk a couple of things. Uh, I've been playing a game called Like a Dragon Infinite Wealth, which is like yeah, tell me about the that. eighth game in a series. Um, it's a, so it is from, in Japanese, it is, it is a series that has always been called Like a Dragon, but obviously with Japanese characters. Sure. Um, in the, in the West, 
it has been called Yakuza, uh, like the oh, like the Japanese mafia. Heard, yeah. So it was called it was a series called Yakuza for a long time, and then in the last couple of years, they said, "Listen, we're just switching over to to like a dragon." So it is the same across the board. Okay. Um, but it is the same series. Is it as the same world inter inter overlapping characters, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So when people say Yakuza or when people say like a dragon, same thing. Same means the same okay. thing. Just that happens to be weird localization quirks. Sure. Um, so this is like the eighth mainline one with the asterisk of like there's eight million side games of the in like a dragon Yakuza games. Um, but this is the eighth one. This is the second one where the primary protagonist is a guy um, named Ichiban Kasuga. Um, and he is a goofball former Yakuza who went to prison um f- like while he was a young man in the yakuza for like he like took he like took the hit and went to prison so that yakuza people didn't have to go to prison okay. uh he didn't he didn't like narc on anybody okay. and basically like wasted 20 years of his life like went from being like 20 years old to being like 40 years old and then comes out as like a man child but not with like Without a lot of, like, the negative stuff about being a man-child, but just, like, the naivete of being a man-child. Sure. Um, he's a very likable character, despite, like, the man-child aspects of him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so these, the, the last two games, sort of like, so Yakuza 7, colon, like a dragon, and like a dragon, infinite wealth, they have moved to a turn-based combat system. Before, it was, like, a beat-em-up action game. Okay. And they have, they have moved to a turn-based system, and they also transitioned the primary protection. So it was uh, a game, uh, uh, or, or the main protagonist, Kiryu, uh, was for like the first six games. He is like, he was the the main character, even though there are other characters that, that you play as in that, yeah, but he was like the primary protagonist. Um, and in these games, the primary protagonist, even though there are other characters that you play as, is Ichiban um, Kasuga. And um, I think that they made the right decision by moving it to, to turn-based. Um, it's very long. The, like, the base games, the way that they used to be were still pretty long there's like lots and lots of side content and things like that and then when they turned it to like a full-on jrpg like turn-based content uh uh, combat style Mm -hmm. they went i feel like even harder and those games are even longer now Uh, so i think like the average like (sighs) runtime is like 78 hours to finish the fucking video game (laughs) wow but i'm like 40 hours in and and uh, it is a huge time commitment, but it's really, really good. Um, it has some. It is some. It is like one of the funniest modern games because and, and it, it it constantly is switching tones between melodrama, like organized crime melodrama, and the goofiest horseshit you can like, like like absurdist comedy. Amazing. Um, like there will be just like quests about like oh your pet crawfish and is falling in like having a having a lesbian uh relationship with like a crab like a hermit crab <laughs> like it's a, it's a really it's a it's a it's a delight I love that um it's really good so the the truly buck wild part is that on top of it being like this long ass fucking RPG. It also has, like, a full-on fucking, like, Pokemon game where you're collecting, not Pokemon, you're collecting, like, bad types of, like, archetypes of bad dudes who are the Pokemon. Oh, that's awesome. And fighting them and all that stuff. But then also, the game just changes into a into a Animal Crossing-style game <laughs> for, like, eight hours. What? I played, over the weekend, I played eight hours of 
this, like, Animal Crossing thing, and then was like, oh, right, now I have to go back <laughs> to play playing this JRPG I was playing. That's so funny. That's amazing. I love that. They're just like, yeah, what the hell? Just do this now for a while. And so, like, while I obviously, like the time commitment is immense. Yeah. I do think that you would love Like a Dragon. That's awesome. I'm really, I'm definitely very, very intrigued. Um, it sounds really fun. Plus, I love a game that you can just sink into and just spend hours and hours playing. Yeah. So I would say, if you are ever interested in doing it, what I would recommend doing is just starting at the previous game, y- uh, Yakuza Like a Dragon, which is where like the switchover happens to to turn-based, switches over to Ichiban as the, the main uh protagonist and um and then so like play that and then play infinite wealth which are like it's big but it's way less video game than play start from yakuza zero yeah and play one through six and then you can get into the thing which i think that those are all really good or the vast majority of them are really good yeah but um it's too much yeah that would be that would be too like too daunting to to get in but yeah if i could just kind of jump in somewhere else yeah um um, yes. And so, like, the wild thing is, like, this is, like, a it's now, like, a 20-year-old or, like, almost approaching 20 years old franchise. <clears throat> they initially, back in, like, the PS2 era, when it started, they tried to localize it in the West, and they just kind of, like, fucked up the tone. Like, they didn't really understand the tone. And then in, like, the mid-2010s they, like, really properly started bringing them over into the West and giving them, like, the treatment that they needed and has seen, like, pretty big success um, after that. And okay. the other thing is that they fucking crank these video games out. Like, they, there is so much shit and they just keep putting out video... Two two side games, two Yakuza side games came out last year. Oh my god. It's, it's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> like, the amount of shit happening... Is a problem. It's impressive. Um, It's really impressive. And also, it's like, are you guys okay? Like, are you being treated okay? (laughs) And like, part of it is that like lots of the things that traditionally they have reused a lot of assets, which is like fine and good. Um, like, hey, that lots of the takes place in the same city. I will say this game, Infinite Wealth, takes a, a huge part of it. The majority of it takes place in Hawaii, which is fucking beautiful. Um, but most of the time in the series, it's like, hey, you're in like Tokyo. And so like, you're on the same streets, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so like, you're able to crank out a lot without having to like rebuild Tokyo every time. Um, it's good. Like a dragon. Very, very good. Um, the other thing that I really wanted to hit before we wrap up is, um, I've been, so this came out a while ago, Psych Odyssey, which is a, like 22 hour documentary of the entire making of Psychonauts 2. What? So they have, so back a, a million years ago, um, Double Fine and Tim Schafer, yeah. who was, who was, um, they, when they did their first Kickstarter for a game that ended up being called Broken Age, uh. they partnered with a team called Two Player Productions to make, to basically embed with them and like be at the office with a camera interviewing people and the process the entire time. And so they had released a, like that kind of documentary yeah. for that game. And then when they did, when they started like, you know, like 2015 is when, Psychonauts 2 got announced and crowdfunded, um, which is a million years ago now, unfortunately. Um, they did it again and they brought in two player productions and they're just there for like the entire process. These like five, six years 
there, like, kind of, like, day in, day out, and they ended up, like, the produced, highly edited final product is 22 hours. But can you just fucking imagine how much footage that they had? That is insane, and that's also, like, I mean, I can't believe they did this for anything, and now it just makes me want this for everything that I love. Yeah, so, like, so it is kind of brutal at how open and vulnerable it is. Like, people end up, like, like, people leave and some of it is just like, like, hey, this person has worked here for 15 years and they're moving on to something new. And that's fine. Like, it's sad, but like normal. Um, and then it's like, hey, there's tension in the team. And like, maybe this guy's behavior, not like, not as like toxic, but like the way that this person is making a video game doesn't fit with the way that we want to make a video game. Oh, interesting. And like, it's kind, it's kind of wild. And I, like, considering that these is these people's real lives, I'm like, Oh, I could never do this. I would die. That's crazy. Oh my god. I'm so excited to watch this though. It's really good and it's free. It's on YouTube. Um awesome. if you just go to their I it's I linked it in the show notes, but if you just go to YouTube and you uh search for the Double Fine Productions uh YouTube there's a whole playlist and it is so long. It's so long. So this came out like last year and I'm I'm like, listen, this is great. I played Psychonauts 2. I backed Psychonauts 2. I love Psychonauts 2. I will watch this eventually, but I can't do it right now. Yeah. Well, now is the time and I am I am most I, I probably like I don't know two thirds of the way through, mm-hmm. um, and it's really good. It's really really good. Oh, hey, maybe um, watch it at one point five x. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's really really long. <laughs> so much. It's really long. It's really really long, but it's it's very good. So and free. Um, so if you ever, if you ever have any interest in like what is it like to make a fucking video game, Absolutely. this is as like brutally honest as probably anything has ever been about that process. That's that's awesome. That's so cool. Oh, yeah, I'm definitely watching this. It's very cool. Um, let's wrap this sucker up. Molly, where can people find you on the internet? Oh, they can find me on Twitter at Molly Gwynn. Um, but I don't tweet a lot, though. But I do uh, retweet things that I find delightful. Um, I link to your website. Is that okay? Um, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. I MGBradley.com. That's it. Uh, and if you want to see what I do, head over to GrantBruner.com. For the Wiki Roar, I'm Grant Bruner. That's Molly Bradley. Have a good one. Shop back on